In January of 1975, Popular Electronics launched an issue with a boxy computer kit on its cover, the Altair 8800. It was about a foot square and looked like a robot from a B-level 1950s science fiction movie. Red lights beeping on a silver metal background, rounded edges, a big, conspicuous spot for a floppy disk to be inserted. There was no keyboard, no monitor, and only 256 bytes of RAM. The Altair 8800 sold for about $439. The seller, Micro Instrumentation and Telemetry Systems, or MITS, was started when founder Ed Roberts dreamed of building his own computer and began tinkering in the garage of his home in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Altair 8800 turned out to be revolutionary. Roberts expected to sell just a few hundred models in the company's first month. Instead, they sold thousands. All over the country, tinkerers and makers were in their homes starting the DIY electronics movement with their Altair 8800, and from that garage in Albuquerque was launched a DIY revolution. In 2016, we're experiencing the birth of another DIY revolution, the DIY bio revolution. Across the country, garage tinkerers are trading in their breadboards and soldering irons for pipettes and PCR machines. Hacking, making, DIYing, exactly what the DIY bio movement entails and who the characters are is still an evolving question. Today, we're looking at how to answer these questions, defining the what and the who of the modern DIY bio movement. I'm Max Showalter, and this is episode zero of DIYBio.fm, a new podcast that dives into the world of DIY bio to hear the science, stories, and sounds of the biohacker revolution. We set out to find people who might be able to help us define what DIY bio really is. And as you can hear, that turned out to be pretty difficult. Most people can't easily give a definition of DIY bio. That turned out to be true even for the experts. It's what you get up to. Uh, where you want to do it, I guess. You know, I, I don't really have a strong definition of it. That's Rob Carlson. So I'm Rob Carlson. I'm the managing director of an investment firm called Bioeconomy Capital. Rob is often considered to be one of the founders of the DIY bio movement. He started tinkering with DIY bio after leaving a position as a professor in the electrical engineering department at the University of Washington in Seattle. Rob is an expert on biotechnology, the bioeconomy, and the author of a 2010 book, Biology is Technology, The Promise, Peril, and New Business of Engineering Life. He spent a lot of time in this field, and in his observations and experiences, DIY bio often centers in one place, the garage. My experience is that you can get things done, you can innovate in the garage. Now, the way we get new stuff in the rest of our economy, the way we got airplanes, the way we got chips, the way we got cars, is from garages. But the garage itself isn't that important. Instead, the garage is a metonym for DIY, do-it-yourself, tinkering. And when we look at other technologies in the past, we see that this tinkering step is critical. Tinkering and DIY is where innovation occurs, like Ed Roberts and his Altair 8800 were to computers, or the Wright brothers were to airplanes. DIY bio and biotech are no different. And this DIY garage step? Well, it could happen anywhere. It could be in a garage, or it could happen in a place like a maker fair or a community laboratory. One person who knows an awful lot about community labs is Maria Chavez. I'm a board member at BioCurious, and I run classes, events, and community projects there. BioCurious is a community lab in San Francisco. It's a space where people gather together to work on community science projects, take classes, and tinker. The people at BioCurious come from diverse educational backgrounds, and a lot of them don't have any formal training in biology. 
and that includes Maria. Actually, I'm one of the many people who got into uh, community science and biohacking through working at a space like BioCurious. My background is actually a bachelor's in programming and operating systems. I've got an MBA in global management, and I've worked in a lot of different industries, including in tech uh, for many years, working at Apple. DIY Bio represents not only people of diverse educational backgrounds, but it also brings together people of diverse cultural backgrounds from all over the world. Community labs facilitate these interactions on six continents, with 37 labs in the U.S. alone. But with all these people, with so many different backgrounds and interests and goals in DIY Bio, it can be nearly impossible to even decide what to call the movement, let alone define it. It seems to come up at least once a week, and I think that that's just a uh, overall community identity crisis we're having. The way I like to look at it is those of us in the community who don't have a science background seem to more easily embrace citizen scientist or biohacker. And again, it depends whether or not you have this image of hacking as a malicious computer intrusion of people stealing your credit cards or trying to launch nuclear we weapons by hacking. Or if you have, again, as I have, that kind of nostalgic look of the computer hacking clubs. For me, it's got very positive connotations, the white hat hackers, um, people who just want to play with technology. Um, so I very happily embrace that term. I find that people at our lab, especially those who are professional scientists for their day jobs who have PhDs, are extraordinarily averse to the term, with one or two exceptions. Um, and they are very much more we are scientists. The global community of DIY bioenthusiasts has made some attempts to concoct a cohesive description of their goals for the movement. Some of this definition has come from the broader community. DIYBio.org is an organization that brings global DIY bioenthusiasts and community labs together. They're a space where people can share events, projects, safety concerns. In 2011, DIYBio.org organized two major congresses of DIY bio groups to help establish a code of ethics. This code described what characteristics should guide the field, things like a commitment to open source, safety, transparency, and environmental consciousness. Tinkers, makers, biohackers. We cast our vote to be called DIY biologists, and maybe we can shed some light on that term by offering up our own definition of DIY bio. The do-it-yourself ethic helps define the DIY movement. It's the idea of self-reliance, of taking things into your own hands, of teaching yourself how to do things, of making, tinkering, and in some instances, hacking. It's the idea of being able to get something done without the help of an expert. And it's a term that goes back to the 1950s. You might be able to easily conceptualize it in the context of do-it-yourself home improvement. Think of Bob Vila. Now apply that ethic to biology. It's Bob Vila, but with bacteria. And this makes DIY bio anything that people do in a self-starting manner that relates to biology. And okay, that's a pretty broad definition. It encompasses a lot of projects and fields that could relate to biology. But that's part of the charm of DIY bio. The breadth of the DIY bio movement reflects the diversity and imagination of the people that participate in it. It can be more than just science. For example, it can be used as a tool for art. My interest in art making has always been about sort of research questions and figuring out what is the what are the limits of what's possible and thinkable and you know just sort of becoming obsessed with an idea and then seeing where it takes me. This is Heather Dewey Hagborg. Uh, I'm Heather Dewey Hagborg. I'm an artist and an educator. I work with biotechnologies uh, and artistic research, and I teach at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. 
Heather had this idea for a totally cool art project. Sitting in a therapy session one day, there was a print on the wall with a crack in the glass frame on that print. And there was this hair stuck in that crack. And so I just kind of sat there for the hour staring at this hair and I began wondering about that person. And I imagined that I actually plucked the hair out and extract the DNA and analyze it to try to figure out who it is. And this idea became the foundation of her art project, Stranger Visions. Using bits of everyday life that people leave behind, cigarette butts, lipstick stains, hairs, sucking glass, she wanted to extract the DNA, analyze it, and use it to craft the face of the person who left their DNA behind in a 3D printed sculpture. But she had one big problem. Heather's not a biologist. You know, I had high school biology, which I can barely remember, to be honest with you, but I had no hands-on training. I mean, like I said, I'd never pipetted before. I, I'd never studied molecular biology. I just had a very basic kind of background. Heather had a long list of things she needed to learn how to do. Extract the DNA, make primers, learn PCR, that's polymerase chain reaction, to amplify the DNA. And then all the bioinformatics she needed on top of that to find the genes that told her how these people looked. To learn this, she sought out people who might be able to help her, and she landed at Genspace, a community lab in New York City. So the next step was really um, signing up for a biotech crash course at Genspace. So I signed up for this crash course, and I learned how to extract DNA, how to amplify it, analyze it, and sort of begin to get my hands dirty with this stuff. And then uh, so I took the class with Dr. Ellen Jorgensen. And afterward, I started talking to her about my project and asked, you know, well, what does she think? Does she think it might be possible? And she's saying, like, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we could try. <laughs> so they did. Heather went out, picked up samples off the street, including used chewing gum, and extracted the DNA. She learned the person's gender their ethnicity, eye color, what their nose looked like. And in the end, she had eerie reconstructions of these strangers' faces. Each subject's face hung on a wall in an art gallery, floating over the piece of evidence they left behind, DNA and all. And it wasn't exactly a linear path. When I first started, I really, I, I thought that I knew how to pipette, but I hadn't even gotten the basic pipetting technique down. And so I had probably been experimenting every day for a week. And then I was telling Ellen, I'm not getting any results. And she hauled up my uh, polymerase chain reaction tubes, the tubes that the experiments take place in. And they were, they were much more full than they should be. And Ellen's like, what is in here? <laughs> how big is this experiment? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> backtrack a bit and, you know, relearn the most basic technique. And once Heather got past these minor snafus and the learning curve of DIY biology, she not only came out with a great art project, but she also gained some enlightenment about the DIY bio movement. I think DIY bio can give people agency over their own sort of biological traces in, in terms of thinking about the surveillance questions. But the bigger value of DIY bio is really much like the, the value of Genspace. I think it's sort of deconstructing the truth discourses around biology. So b being able to read the headlines and understand more deeply about what it means, being able to maybe um, counter some of the hype that we tend to see. I mean, I have to say, I think science journalism tends to be some of the worst journalism there is. It's like recycling of press releases, and you see the same sentences appear over and over and over in every media outlet. 
and it's so discouraging to someone who's trying to think critically and and trying to engage the public on these on issues around science and technology just the enormous amount of hype that is um tends to cloak these uh really like preliminary scientific papers um so i think diy bio and community science labs can really give the public uh, a hands-on understanding of what's really going on sort of behind the scenes. Uh, that's, that's my hope. And that as a community, we can also talk about these things, you know, that we can talk to each other and, you know, talk about the latest paper that came out and say, well, what does it really mean? You know, what is, what is actually, what was the experiment actually that, that took place? You know, what really happened? And then what are the implications of that? Like any growing field of technology, DIY bio isn't without its challenges. There's concerns about safety, security, and quality. And on a higher level, concerns about maintaining the DIY character that's helped establish the field. As much of a fan as I am of DIY bio, my concern is that um, that DIY bio not sort of fall in the same trap that I think... DIY electronics has fallen in of uh, sort of black boxing things so that people have access in a very high level to technology, which is on the one hand wonderful because it's more accessible, but on the other hand, it really obscures the inner workings of what's going on. And I think the stakes with biology are so high, we really need to know what it is that we're doing in the most detailed and complex way possible. So this is the challenge, I think, that DIY bio and community bio faces of how to make things accessible while still still really helping people understand how complex they are. How we deal with these challenges, how we experience the successes and the failures and the growing pains of DIY biology is something that we'll cover more in later episodes of DIYbio.fm. But for today, we're going to close with a quote from Rob Carlson, who remains optimistic about the field of DIY bio. I think all I'm really saying is that uh, everything is changing fast and is incredibly interesting and complicated. That's a great time to be alive. We want to give a special thanks to Rob Carlson, Maria Chavez, and Heather Dewey Hegborg for sharing their experiences with us on the show today. We'll link to them in our show notes on DIYbio.fm, our website where you can learn more about their projects, including Heather's art project, Stranger Visions, and BioCurious Community Labs in San Francisco. Special thanks to Regina Wu for help on the logo, to Roman Mars for inspiration. This episode of DIYbio.fm was written and produced by Jeremy Hecht, Zach Muller, and me, Max Showalter. It was recorded in beautiful downtown Seattle, Washington. Follow us on Twitter at DIYBioFM, no dot, and visit us at our website, DIYBio.FM. In our next episode, which we'll be launching the week after next, we'll be talking not just about the who and the what, but also the how and the why of DIY Bio. And a special addendum for any of you listening to our inaugural episode at Biohack the Planet, Zach Muller is there, and we would love to hear your DIY bio story if you're willing to share it. So if you can find him and share your contact information or take some time to tell him about what you do in DIY bio. Thanks.